On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. My God, it's not like going to the next cubicle. What is it not going like snake? next cubicle? Turning on Zoom is faster than going to the next cubicle. The concept of working remotely is still new to many of us. We'll hear from a business owner who has decades of successful experience with it. As we enter the holiday shopping season and the last half of the fourth quarter, how optimistic are Iowa's businesses? And given the menu on many tables this week, we'll take a look at turkey production in Iowa. This is the Iowa Business Report for Thanksgiving Weekend 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Sharon Koifman has founded and run multiple companies, one of which was completely remote, spanning four continents. He currently operates a company called Distant Job, a remote placement agency, which is offering free consultations on how to lead and manage remote teams during the COVID crisis. And he's the author of a new book released about a week ago called Surviving Remote Work. But as you'll hear, he not only survived, he thrived. And he says, you can too. I've been doing this already for 18, 19 years. My first company was also run remotely. So I was sitting in my web hosting company. I was sitting in my office in Montreal my employees were in India. The do, people were doing the customer support. My servers were in Texas, and then they moved to New Jersey, and somebody was there to press the button. So 18 years ago, I was already running a, a full operation, not, not some little affiliate or, or some kind of technology that I can say by myself, a full operation with technologies, with real estate, with everything, and employees from my own computer somewhere far away. That, of course, led me to doing this for 18 years and I wanted to share that experience. So let's say I'm running a company and 2020 became the time that I had to worry about working from home, my employees working remotely. It's not as easy as walking down the hall. It's not as easy as gathering in a room, but I'm not happy with how it's going. I don't feel good about it. What are some of the first steps you might suggest that I as the business owner could take to make this a little more palatable and much more successful. Okay, so first of all, it starts with the attitude, <laughs> right? The, the entire mentality, the, oh, I have to go remote. Oh, my God, it's not like going to the next cubicle. What is it not going like next cubicle? Turning on Zoom is faster than going to the next cubicle, right? If you have your entire team on Slack, you have this little shortcut keyword that you can click slash Zoom and we pop up together. Uh, and have a conversation in real time faster than any walk to cubicle. You're not distracting anybody. You're not doing anything. You you equip your entire team with proper webcams and headset. Not, not a huge deal. Simple, small stuff. And guess what? You have a real-time operation like you would have in the office. So that fear that you're not getting this real-time experience, that fear that you're not uh, getting the same level of interaction is completely false. Research shows that 
people that work from home, and it's not about people working from home, it's people working from their most optimal environment. Some people like to work in a co-sharing place or a little office right beside their house. As long as you have your own little optimal working environment, you are significantly more productive, you're happier, you're more independent. This is a dream for employers. I know from my own experience, I tend to work in a radio studio, but I do a lot of work from home as well. And one of the problems when you are at home is, unless you are disciplined and have a good dedicated workspace, you wind up having your most productive time taken from you. And I think that's been one of the more difficult adjustments for employees in working remotely. What are your thoughts? First of all, the the science shows that an average worker in an office environment, in an eight-hour shift, only produce about two hours and 53 minutes. Hmm. So it's not the question whether it's challenging to work from home, because it is. It is the, the misconception that somehow when you worked in the office, you were that much more productive. <laughs> right? And here's the magic thing. Uh, you're right. You might have kids, especially during COVID time. You might have kids. You might have your husband or wife asking you where their jeans are and do you want to eat or anything. So, so there is a certain level of distractions in, in your remote working environment. It's really not that much different than in an office where every few minutes somebody talks to you, talks to you about their favorite movie, a boss brings you into a meeting. All this distracts you so much and it takes about 25 minutes to actually get back to focus. So again, discussion of how remote is a scary place. First of all, you need to eliminate that idea. After that, you need to talk about how to get more productive. So then you agree with your family members that for a specific amount of hours, you need focused working time and they can't bother you. And we're not heavy anymore into the COVID like we were before where we didn't know what to do with the kids. I think there's more options. But still, even if you have the kids and you're co-parenting and it's not the father, the babysitting, but the mommy doing her job, really fair partners in a relationship, you both can agree on, look, I'm going to take the first five hours and you're going to take the second five hours and nobody distracts each other during that time and you will be more productive than you'll be in the office because the stats, again, say about two hours and 53 minutes. I think so many people are finding out what you just said and to some degree it scares them because it changes the dynamic. But we find this out now in working if I don't have anyone to bother me and I'm disciplined, I can stay focused, I can be efficient, and the trappings of the office and the trappings of the supposed collegiality with coworkers, that can be a deterrent to productivity, as you've just set forth. Huge. Do you think that people, because this is upsetting the paradigm, it is upsetting the norm, that is something people don't necessarily want to face? People are used to certain habits and they take a long time to get used to something new. It is my belief that it's not such a big leap to go to remote, Mm -hmm. but we have been working in an industrial world where before this new era of technology and creativity and everything, we've been sitting, going to the factory and from nine to five, this is where we work put on the shoe, create the ball, create uh, whatever product you make all day long. 
And then you drive home. At home, you hang out with the family or have beers or go bowling with your friends and everything. But that mentality uh, stayed the same when we got to the creative era of working in the past 20, 30 years where, where people were hired to actually think. And they still assume that going to the office would make you think more. But it doesn't. It, it really does not. What are the biggest mistakes that people make when this topic comes to mind, this topic of remote work? What are the things that you think people are really going to learn, in other words, from reading your book? It's not a necessarily a question of the biggest mistake. It's, a, it's the, the thing that is neglected the most. So there is one fundamental change. And you mentioned that also with school and it happens with an office environment. When you study from home or when you work from home, you lose some of your social experience. I, I personally think that, that it, it is quite a disaster that companies created this environment where you depend on your social experience at the same time that you're working. I think it's a bad thing that we've been programmed to do, but it is a reality. And when people go home, their managers tend to forget that some of them might get lonely. Some of them are not adjusting well to be by themselves. Some of them don't know how to create that social experience that they have in the office. And the same thing happens with schools. And it is up to the company and it's up to the, to the management of the company to invest heavily in making sure that everybody still feels included, that everybody doesn't feel like they disappeared into that remote la-la land. They're still having some kind of experience. And then to encourage them to go and to socialize activities. So one of the biggest mistakes on the remote employee side is forgetting to book your social experience like you would book your business meetings. So you're stuck at home. People forget the social is important and it's important to your mental health and it's important to productivity. You used to be a person who would go work out, would go to classes, to activities. You would go having happy hour with your friends from colleagues. You need to figure out how to replicate that when you're going remote. Sharon Koifman of the remote placement agency Distant Job, online at distantjob.com and author of the new book, Surviving Remote Work. We spoke via Zoom on Tuesday, November 17. Still to come, Iowa business optimism and Iowa's turkey industry. It's more than just corn and cob, the turkeys pardoned by the president this past week. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Last week, we spoke at length with Mike Ralston of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry about the seven steps Iowa manufacturers have taken to recover during this year's pandemic. If you missed the conversation, you can catch the podcast at totallyiowa.com. But Ralston also shared information when we talked on November 17th about how Iowa businesses feel this Thanksgiving weekend. You and I talk on a quarterly basis about what the official member survey tells with regard to prediction for the next quarter, but that's not the only time that you connect with your members and members of your board. 
What have you heard, Mike, from a more anecdotal basis recently, especially now as here we are at the tail end of 2020, there's talk of a vaccine, there's talk of therapeutics, there may be another administration in Washington, all of these things. What's the mood from your people about their businesses? What a timely question. We, uh, we just had a uh, meeting of the ABI Board of Directors last week. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it was a large sample. There were probably 50 people that participated in a uh, virtual meeting uh, on, uh, online. And uh, at the end of the meeting, we, we teed up a discussion of how's business? What, what are people seeing uh, in their business and what do they see coming up in 2021? And I'll say again, I continue to be surprised, but in a positive way. Members were very positive about their business. Many of them were having very strong years. You can imagine these were manufacturers who were in the food service or food industry or uh, others that were in the ag industry that provide inputs and product related to uh, taking care of crops and managing crop safety and that sort of thing. But just general manufacturers, really positive about the state of their business. Now, that's not to say that maybe somebody participating wasn't seeing a problem, but nobody expressed it. And a number of people specifically talked about the way their business is going. And we attributed that to a couple things, Jeff. One was that there have been shutdowns in other places. Right or wrong that happened, Iowa companies benefited from that. Those customers of those businesses needed to go somewhere. In many cases, they came to Iowa manufacturers. So that's terrific. Certainly don't wish ill will on anyone, but it happened and it's great. And they're going to work hard to keep those customers. Secondly, A number of folks, as we talked about, changed processes in the middle of this thing and found out that they were able to do things a little differently, a little more cost effectively. That's led to an increase in business, certainly an increase in revenue. So all these things are saying uh, good things for the end of 2020. And again, our folks were thinking it looked pretty good for 2021. Coming up, one aspect of Iowa agriculture that rather quietly has national impact. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. There is nothing more traditional than the Thanksgiving turkey. So we thought it appropriate for this week's business profile to talk with Greta Irwin, Executive Director of the Iowa Turkey Federation, representing a rather vibrant part of Iowa's ag economy. We have about 11 million turkeys that we raise in Iowa every year, and that's on about 130 Iowa family farms. Iowa has a very long tradition and history of raising turkeys. And I have a lot of family farmers who are second and third generation turkey farmers. And we have new families that have joined the turkey industry because livestock is one great way to add a new family member into the family farm. And when you're raising corn and soybeans, you know, it's nice to have that diversity. And, you know, corn and soybeans is kind of why we have turkey production in Iowa. Our number one cost to raise a turkey is its feed. So the cost of corn and soybeans is very important to us in the turkey industry. And you get better quality corn and you get economical corn when you're closer to that source. So turkeys and I are going to consume over 11 million bushels of corn and over 110,000 tons of soybean meal. So being close to our sources of the grain in Iowa 
and having those farmers and then processing those turkeys in Iowa, it's a great economic boost to the state of Iowa. Now, I live in a rural area, and I have wild turkeys that roam through the woods and onto my property, and I have to tell you, they look very different from the photos I see of what Iowa turkey producers are raising for harvest. Talk about the distinction between what I see just walking through my woods and the kind of bird I'm going to serve on Thanksgiving. As we all know, turkeys have been part of the North American continent for um, years and years and years and years. I mean, we can find turkey fossils back with the dinosaurs. And so turkeys were here when we colonized the United States. It was a critical food source for our Native Americans. And so to continue that tradition just makes sense. So the turkeys that we raise today are cousins of those wild turkeys we see out in our farm fields and in our backyards in Iowa. They look different because of some of the regulations and processing requirements that we have as consumers. So if you take a dark feathered turkey and you remove that feather from its pore, it will leave a dark speck. If we raise a white feather turkey and we remove that feather, that color is not obvious. And so when we went to improved inspections for turkeys, we switched the colors of the feathers so that our inspectors could better inspect that turkey to ensure that it is a safe and wholesome product and there wasn't bruising or other imperfections on that skin of the turkey. So those turkeys we're raising in our barns today, they're cousins to those wild turkeys we see out in the field. And just a few simple changes to make sure that consumers are getting a safe, healthy product is all that the industry has done. What are some of the challenges that turkey producers face these days? Um, Currently, the turkey industry is under just a little duress, like every small business, every company and business right now in the United States is adjusting to the markets due to COVID. Uh, We have seen a decrease in turkey production due to the decrease in sales of our turkey items. So if you go into a quick serve restaurant and you buy a deli sandwich, it has a large possibility that it came from an Iowa turkey farmer. In Iowa, we raise tom turkeys, which are the male turkeys, and those are further processed into deli meats, into other further processed products. So we as consumers have stopped being out as much. The deli meat sales have gone down, and that's had the largest impact right now on our industry. And going forward, we're just a little bit nervous just because we're not out and about as much and what impact that might have on our markets. I also wonder if people who think of Thanksgiving dinner and the traditional turkey forget about having turkey in some form at other times of the year. In other words, it's almost a victim of its own holiday success. It is. This tradition has definitely been a fabulous part of the U.S. and Iowa turkey industry. Um, But in reality, in Iowa, we're the fifth largest turkey processing state, and we do not do any whole birds. Everything gets further processed into the turkey sausages, the turkey bacon, the turkey bologna, the turkey deli meat, um, turkey hot dogs, all of those other products that we enjoy all year long. And so um, you're going to the Iowa State Fair, you're enjoying a turkey drumstick that's coming from Iowa. Um, you know, think of the turkey tenderloins that we like to pick up at the grocery stores and put on our grill. All those further processed products are coming from Iowa, and we're not doing any whole turkeys. Now, the official national Thanksgiving turkeys, those came from Iowa this year. That's a wonderful, wonderful tribute to Iowa's production and explains why you and I are speaking by phone, you being in Washington. 
I am in Washington, D.C. right now. We will be working with the White House and having the presentation of the official Thanksgiving turkey to the president. So it's exciting time for us in the industry to be talking turkey. Ron Cardell is our Iowa turkey farmer who serves as chairman of the National Turkey Federation. And that's what allowed Ron to have this honor to raise the turkey and bring it to Washington, D.C. because he is the current chairman of the National Turkey Federation. He lives over in Walcott, Iowa. He's a corn and soybean farmer. His family homestead dates back to the 1850s, and he is a sixth-generation farmer and very excited and very proud to have this honor to present the president with the official Thanksgiving turkey. And a unique part of that, of course, this year, once the turkey is pardoned, it's not only coming back to Iowa, but it's going to be at Ron's alma mater on full display. It is. It is coming back to Iowa State University, which this is the first time this has happened. Ron is the eighth Iowan to have pardoned a turkey with the president, but this is the first time the turkey has come back to Iowa State University. And we are so excited for the students at Iowa State University to have an opportunity to interact with these turkeys, to provide care for them, whether they're veterinary students or people that are in the poultry science program. They will have an opportunity to interact with these turkeys for their natural life and become part of that curriculum and that experience at Iowa State University. Greta Irwin, Executive Director of the Iowa Turkey Federation, online at iowaturkey.org. We spoke via phone on Monday, November 23rd. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. Next week, we'll talk with an Iowa employment attorney about key issues facing businesses, customers, and employees as the COVID pandemic continues. That's next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including iHeart, Apple, and Google. You can subscribe and not miss a single episode of the program or one of those extended features. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.